A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Teaching unselfie. Like the title. Encouraging and cultivating empathy in children, and well, actually, perhaps in everybody as well. Saab Johal is Associate Professor of Psychology at Massey University. Good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. The really interesting thing about empathy is how much of a crossover there is uh, in some ways with the biological and um, the behavioural because it is a cognitive skill. It's a brain development skill that arrives and is ripe for development at certain age and stage, and perhaps ages and stages, actually. It comes and goes. Just explain about how psychologists and, and, you know, behavioural uh, researchers, I guess, define empathy? It's a good question, and it's actually quite a complex skill as we look at this. Um, so empathy is really an ability to imagine how someone is feeling in a particular situation. We kind of understand that part of it, you know, what, what's it like to be in somebody else's shoes. But the other part of it is, and respond with care. Okay, so that's the really important part. And this starts really early on. So as you say, we're kind of biologically programmed to seek the attention of others. We More and more evidence is emerging that we have this kind of mutuality that we're inbuilt with. We're looking to re- interact with other people. And that is... Um, encouraged and established by a secure attachment with our caregivers. And at around about six months old, we start doing this thing called social referencing. So that's when um, a baby will look to a parent um, or uh, somebody else who's caring for them to gauge their reaction uh, in a particular uh, situation. So for example, a six or seven month month old might look carefully at their parent as they greet a visitor to the home to see if that person is good or safe or not. You know, and that expands through to um, a little bit later on when we're thinking about you know, daycare and preschool. That's why we're encouraged to be quite upbeat and reassur- reassuring uh, and not anxiously hovering over our kids. Because actually what we're saying is that this is a good place and you will be OK. So this social referencing is this part of understanding what the world is, what my experience is, and what other people's experience is as well. So differentiating that that self, you know, I'm a separate person, but I'm still actually connected to other people, and they may have different thoughts and feelings to me. It's so fascinating. I spoke to an anthropologist once on a, on a subject that was entitled Why Babies Are So Cute, and it was about that smiling behaviour, which, let's face it, some of it is wind, but the genuine smiling, and, and her theory was way back when there was lots of alloparenting going on and the tribe was passing the baby around, the, 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 the sort of the, the biological or the evolutionary um, purpose of the smiling was just that: make yourself cute, make a connection with whoever it is whose hands, literally, that that you're in right now. It's fascinating, isn't it? From right from that younger stage, but then we do go through phases again, as I said, where the cognitive development, the actual brain development, and and its abilities come into play as well. And when does that first, I guess, ripen? When's the first opportunity to teach or to model empathy in a way where it's really going to be timely? As we've sort of just talked about, um, we have this development that goes through. There's no sort of like hard and fast rule around this, but there do seem to be some milestones. So, for example, around about the 18 to 24 month 
um, stage, we're starting to understand that um, our thoughts and feelings and goals may be different to other people's. You know, we originally, you know, some of the influential thoughts around this were saying that people didn't, uh, this didn't emerge in people until they were maybe six or seven years old. We now understand that actually emerges quite a lot earlier than that. And then that gives an, an opportunity, you know, when children are 18 to 24 months old, three, four years old, we have real opportunities to empathize with our children ourselves. Um, and so we teach through modeling. Um, so empathy is not just a, a tell activity, it's also a show activity. So when your child is perhaps maybe scared of dogs, you know, that, that's not uncommon. You ask your child, are you feeling scared of that dog? He's a nice dog, but he's barking really loud and that can be scary, I understand that. So I'll hold you until the dog has gone away. So what you're doing there is you're empathizing with the child, you're recognizing that their feelings are different to your feelings, you're recognizing that it's scary for them and then you're also offering comfort. And they learn by seeing that and seeing how you model um, your behavior, but also attaching and offering them comfort by understanding their point of view at an early age. So when kids are 18 months, two months old, three months old, they're picking this up, not just from what you're, they're tell, you're telling them, but what you're showing them. So actually the, the comforting of them, your display of empathy towards them is what they pick up on and return. It's funny, isn't it? Often watching quite young children, even a, you know, a, a two-year-old or younger cuddling, a, say, a newborn sibling, uh, and 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 hovering and, and and almost needing a bit of help with the skills sometimes it's almost instinctual that that protectiveness uh, and presumably again as you say that that is learned by their own experience of what has happened to them. That's right. It is important to understand that um, they will pick up what it is that's going on around them. So if you um, say treat a waiter. Uh, or a server at a restaurant as if they're invisible, your child will notice that and they may go on to uh, model that behavior. But also they will notice when you welcome a new child into the classroom into the, or into the daycare. Or if you ask about um, when that child hurt their knee the other day, are they okay today? Did you help them get a plaster? Um, so they'll, they'll notice the positive, but also the, the lack of concern too. Sharing is one of the first instances of empathy as well. Uh, that can happen quite young and again perhaps around that toddler age group and the ability to take turns is some overlap isn't it really? Uh, that, that turns isn't just a rule it's that someone else might like to play with that toy and sometimes can these things be taught almost in uh, almost together. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of different things that you can do to encourage that. So the example that you talk about, you know, maybe that's a really good opportunity for pretend play. So if you're talking with toddlers about feeling uh, feelings and empathy as you're playing. So, for example, you might have a, a child stuffed teddy, um, say that it doesn't want to take turns with his friend, the stuffed hippo. And then you ask the child, how do you think hippo feels? What should we tell bear? about what hippo feels and how is it that they could play together, perhaps sharing a particular toy that they're fighting over. So pretend play is a really good opportunity for that, but also reading stories about feelings. Because actually what we're trying to do is to develop a, a vocabulary uh, for children so that they can identify firstly their own feelings and their own experiences and you're helping them to do that. 
And then through developing that emotional literacy, they're then in a better position to understand what might be going on for other people too, and how to respond with care and concern. So, so for example, if a child um, witnesses somebody um, falling over and they skin their knee, you can make suggestions like, oh, maybe we should go and get some ice or help them to wash that or get a plaster. So often giving children a bit of um, a library of things that they can do in a situation where somebody is feeling upset is also part of that skill of empathy. Because often children can feel like, I feel distressed because that person is distressed, but I don't really know what to do about it. When we get to school and to different social situations for children, they're out on their own more and often in a bigger group. All sorts of things are happening, again, to them, as well as in their behaviour to others. Here's an email that's come in. Listeners, happy to take your uh, questions or your observations. 9 to noon at radioNZ.co.nz, text to 2101, or tweet at 9 to noon. I have a query for your guest about teaching empathy in children. I have a nearly six-year-old daughter. She engages in what a lot of parents of girls are no doubt familiar with, the awful, you can't be friends with me because, and that sort of thing. There's a younger girl in a different class who she was friends with at kindy, but my daughter, being slightly older and having gone to school earlier, has moved on from their friendship with kids in her own class. The younger girl's been pursuing the relationship regardless, and my daughter's been struggling to deal with it, at first telling her she's busy, etc. I tried to give her ideas of ways to deal with the situation with kindness and to try to imagine how it feels to be the other girl, but she either hasn't listened or has gotten fed up. She then started being cruel, telling her she doesn't want to be friends with her and to go away, etc. The other girl is understandably really upset. I feel appalled, and I've let my daughter know as much. I told her I would be phoning the mother of the other girl to apologise and that she needs to apologise again also. I'd love some idea, some advice on how to tackle this. I find this seems to be a difficult age for social interactions, especially for girls. And it's a really valid point, isn't it? Because there's two things happening here. Not just trying to encourage to show some empathy for the other child's feelings, but clearly the child is irritated and not really interested in the friendship. So it's almost like it's almost like an early sort of breakup situation, isn't it? How would you deal with it? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a familiar one, I think, particularly when people are moving, children are moving from preschool to a school where they know some kids and don't know other kids and all kinds of alliances and uh, being formed and friendships being formed and, and some being let go. Um, so, yeah, it is difficult. Um, so validating your child's dif- difficult emotions when they're caught in those binds are, are really are really important. So helping them to label and validate their experience and recognizing that it is difficult to make friends and there are competing um, things competing for their attention. But one of the things that you can do is to give children the opportunity to do things over again. So perhaps if it didn't go so well the first time, we can kind of like perhaps reset and say, okay, so maybe let's try and do this again and try something different. So it may be that, you know, if you are find yourself disappointed or um, really troubled by your child's behavior, you can call attention. So if, if you think about it as CARE is the acronym that they use for this, so C-A-R-E. So the first one is calling attention to that uncaring behavior that you've seen. And then the second part is the assessing. So assessing how the, that uncaring behavior may affect other people. But also, why is it that they may have engaged in that behavior in the first place. So helping the kid to understand their own feelings, but also the other person's perspective on that too. The third one is repairing. So repairing any hurts that may may have um, occurred in that situation and trying to make amends. So this is where you get the, the caring and the compassion part of it. 
and then expressing some disappointment. So it is important that um, the parent says, Do you know what, I don't think that that's okay, that behavior. I can understand why it is that you're caught in this bind. But then thinking about what are your expectations should this situation happen again? So it might be things like moving away from the person who is seeking your attention or finding other things for them to do. Um, that takes them out of that difficult situation because it is difficult when children are around the five, six-year-old mark. But what, what we want to do is to make sure that we're modeling that we understand the perspective of the other child. And often what um, can be done is, you know, if we see children, unfortunately at that age, you know, they can be a little bit um, teased or ostracized by other children. Occasionally encouraging your child to sit with the teased child for a little while or to invite them to, to sit in um, on the table with them at lunch or whatever. It goes a long way in developing that skill of empathy and caring concern for others because it is about widening that, that circle of concern. Explain um, more about that, the idea that it's not about the immediate situation and that as they're beginning to grow as people and as, you know, they're, they're in a society really in classroom, aren't they? They're in social situations and they're in uh, an organised group um, or in a group. What do you mean by widening and, and looking beyond just the immediate situation? Mm. Well, often we, we speak of children of having you know, lots of empathy, little empathy or perhaps no empathy. But often the issue isn't that the children don't have any empathy. They, they can empathize, empathize but it's um, who they have empathy for. So it's not hard to have empathy for your family or for your close friends. And it's, you know, it's human nature to have empathy for people who are like us in some way. But the real issue is whether children and not just children, adults, have empathy for people outside your immediate circle of people who are like you or people who you know that well. So it's important to model an appreciation for many different kinds of people. And I guess it's, you know, if we think about, say, Cyclone Cook, okay? So I think about that in two, in two different ways if I'm thinking about empathy. Number one is that there may be a community that is being really hard hit by that cyclone at the moment. I'm thinking about, you know, people on Great Barrier Island, people in the Bay of Plenty, Edgecombe, and further south as we progress through the day. There's also an opportunity for um, awe, there. So awe is when, you know, when we see something that's either great, like a brilliant vista or being in the mountains or in a, for me, particularly in deserts, for some reason, do it for me, but also terrible things that are awesome as well. Both of those, you know, all of those categories, you know, even looking at a great piece of art as well, it gives you a sense of vastness. It's much bigger than you. And it also gives you a new perspective, perhaps, on the world and your place in it. And that's the, the awe that we experience. And it makes us feel small, but we're part of something perhaps that's greater than ourselves. So we lose our sense of individuality, that sense of individual self, and perhaps we become more connected to people around us. So there are opportunities to kind of zoom in and say, OK, so how is this cyclone going to be affecting us? But how is it going to be affecting other people? What is their experience of that? And through also appreciating the vastness of this, you know, the biggest storm that's going to hit New Zealand in 49 years, we perhaps are able to differentiate, lose that differentiation of self and see that actually we're, we're connected with others uh, and perhaps it's easier to care for others um, in, that, in that respect too. <laughs> 
turn slightly negative, there was the old phrase, the world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, you're talking much more positively about trying to develop that kind of understanding. This is an interesting uh, text that's come in. Can, uh, if there has been a lack of this learning and modelling in childhood, can this be learnt later in life? I'm really interested in that. Um, uh, if there's that, that, that critical, we so often talk about those first three years, don't we, as the foundation of everything. Uh, but if things have not gone well and um, the modelling's not happened and perhaps some negative experiences in this area have happened when someone's younger, can they learn later and how so? Yeah, absolutely. You can learn this. Um, there are, there may be some barriers that, that you may have to get through. So, you know, they're clearly adults and teenagers who perhaps haven't mastered the skill completely. Um, so say, for example, when I was working on the um, All Right campaign, I still work on that in Christchurch, which is a public mental health campaign. One of the first things that we did was to commission some research and figure out what people were feeling. Because often we don't understand what other people's perspectives are when we're going through, you know, like a disaster or any experience in our, in our lives, because we perhaps don't have the emotional language for it. So often people would be seeing these posters up around the place in Christchurch and Canterbury and saying, ah, I didn't know people felt like that. But also, I didn't know that's what I was feeling because I hadn't actually had it expressed out loud like that. So unless we can articulate and identify what it is that we are feeling, we find it very difficult to understand other people's points of view because we don't understand what they could be feeling. So one of the fundamental things that we need to do is to engage in that identification of our own feelings. And this is where literature and exposure to other people's ideas is magnificent for this. When you immerse yourself in other people's lives, you actually understand what it is to be human, what it is to be human, and it helps you to make sense of your own life. And that, that might be through reading, it might be through listening to the radio, watching TV, but you have, the, you have all kinds of um, diversity of experience that you're then exposed to. And that is an amazing developmental opportunity. It also can happen, I imagine, imagine in some cases in counselling and things like relationship counselling. And again, in some ways, the beginning of empathy is to understand how you yourself feel, because then you can put words and concepts to how someone else might feel. But, you know, the old, how do you think that makes so-and-so feel? Um, there's another complex time for this, which is the teen years, and way, way back in educational psychology, and I don't know if it still exists, is the concept of adolescent egocentrism, and it's the idea that it's a time of life where you have got so much going on that the focus does tend to narrow back to you a bit as you try and make sense of everything that is going on with you physically, emotionally. Uh, and and in your life development, I don't know if if that's still recognised as a as a challenging era. And again, how would you deal with it at that time where kids are navigating so much? Again, including their social environments. Yeah, you're right. It is a, an incredibly uh, complex and uh, stormy time of um, self identity development. Not necessarily so, but for for many. Um, so yes, taking that. Uh, approach of really asking people to take a step back from themselves uh, and being caught up with that self-identity and thinking about how it is that they can connect with others. So you know, all the advice around um, social media, 
uh, and the dangers of um, really focusing upon the Instagram kind of selfie lifestyle and being on Facebook and being worried about how many likes you're getting. You know, all of that stuff can be really dangerous um, in terms of really focusing and um, directing people that the self is the most important thing here. And this is why things like um, retreats or going out on experiences with your family, where you go out into the bush, or, and you know, fortunately in New Zealand, we have many different experiences, perhaps not this weekend, uh, but we have many different uh, experiences that we can engage in that diminish our sense of self, perhaps dissolve those artificial boundaries that we put up between ourselves and other people. And as we engage in those activities, as we just basically talk with each other and understand where it is that we others may be coming from, we start to develop that ability, that skill to understand other people's perspectives, but also to act with concern when we understand that perhaps they may need help, that it's distressing for them. So to be able to diffuse the attention from the self is perhaps one of the things that parents can do to, to say, actually, I'm not going to talk about this. We're going to go and do something completely different where you have the opportunity not to be engaged in just thinking about yourself. I was very struck by, I think you had Steve Biddulph on last week, and he was talking about the importance of hanging out time and just being able to be with each other and just process you know, what's going on right now. And I was really struck by that. I was found myself nodding vigorously because I think that's really important in those adolescent years. He's such a smart guy. Just briefly, I know the latest listener, I've only sped read the Yale psychologist Paul Bloom uh, talking about corrosive caring and talk, saying that, you know, teaching empathy rather than compassion is negative. But I, I can kind of see the slight difference uh, and, and, and I, I don't think people are at cross purposes. Empathy isn't just you know, feeling something and therefore responding. The classic, do I give some money to the beggar in this country that I'm visiting? Um, it really is, in some ways, a, a, a skill or a tool or a stepping stone to compassion, is it not? It is. You know, if you take the example of perhaps, say, salespeople or marketers, okay, they're really good at understanding where um, other people may be coming from, understanding their perspective in a particular situation, and then using that understanding to pitch them something, to sell them something. Empathy is really the understanding somebody's particular perspective, where they're coming from, and then responding with care. That's the important bit that is empathetic rather than just using your understanding for your own ends and your own needs rather than actually understanding what the other's needs might be and helping them and responding to that. Thank you, Saab. Saab Johal, Associate Professor of Psychology at Massey University. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.